Most of us are not accountants, but whether you work in a small business, a large corporation, a nonprofit, or a government agency, the numbers define what resources we have. Being able to understand and speak the language of financial statements is essential for leaders who want to influence decisions. On this episode, how to understand and read one of the most important and central reports for any organization, the income statement. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 628. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. You've heard conversations in the past on our show about finance and budgeting and even a little bit of personal finance. I think leaders need to be able to understand the language of finance and financial reporting in order to be able to be influential in the conversations that are happening in all kinds of organizations, whether it's a for-profit, a nonprofit, a government agency. Being able to understand and know the language of financial statements is key. Today, we're going to take a look at one of the most important financial statements and the fundamentals of it so we can do a better job at being able to know what's happening inside our organizations and also how to be more influential. I'm so glad to welcome Brian Feroldi to the show today. He is a financial educator, YouTuber, and author. He's been intensely invested in money, personal finance, and investing since he graduated from college. Brian started investing in 2004. In the beginning, he had no idea what he was doing and got his teeth kicked in. His returns improved dramatically over time as his experience and knowledge about the stock market grew. Brian's mission statement is to spread financial wellness. He loves to help other people do better with their money, especially their investments. He has written more than 3,000 articles on stocks, investing, and personal finance for The Motley Fool. In 2022, Brian's book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up?, was published. The mission of the book is to demystify the stock market. It was written to explain how the market works in plain English. He's also the co-creator of the course, Financial Statements Explained Simply. Brian, what a pleasure to have you on. Dave, thank you so much for that warm introduction. It's wonderful to be here. Well, Financial Statements Explained Simply, that is going to be our aim for our conversation today, and specifically looking at the income statement that is so important for so many organizations. And Before we get into some of the details of it, I have been a poor guitar player for a whole lot of years, and one of my first guitar instructors, when I first started learning how to play the instrument, said that the the hard part about guitar is that it's one of the hardest instruments to really master. But, he said, the good thing about guitar is it's also one of the instruments that's most easy to make good progress on quickly, that you can spend a few hours and learn a couple chords and actually start playing a song really, really quickly. And I think about that analogy with financial statements and some of the language we're going to talk about today. People spend their whole careers learning this, but you can actually spend a little bit of time and get a lot of the language that'll help you be influential in a lot of conversations, don't you? I completely agree. 
At the outset, financial statements can look extremely intimidating when you're coming across them for the first time. But to your point, once you learn the most important terms and the layouts of the three financial statements, I think it's one of those things where you can get 80% of the way there with only a few hours of effort. There are three big financial statements. There's the balance sheet, of course, there's the income statement, and there's the cash flow statement, right? Yep, or statement of cash flow is correct. Yeah, perfect. So we're going to look at the income statement today. I, I think maybe before we get into the statement itself, what's the why behind this? Why actually spend the time to get knowledgeable about what's on these statements and the language behind them? Well, accounting, whether you want it to be or not, is the language of business. And Learning to read financial statements is one of the things that almost anybody can do to significantly enhance their business skills. And if you are going to become an investor in any way, it's not even a question. You have to learn how to read financial statements. However, I think learning to read financial statements goes beyond that. If you are an entrepreneur or a business owner, you must learn accounting. You must learn how to read financial statements. Otherwise, how are you going to make good decisions as a business owner? But I also think learning to read financial statements is very good, even if you are an employee at a company. Learning to read financial statements can definitely enhance your, your career. If you have ambitions to become a manager, if you have ambitions to become an, an executive, learning to read financial statements will really help you to stand out in a field. Because I would say, from my experience, about 90% of people, business professionals, uh, don't know how to read financial statements. And, and I've I've heard the pushback from folks sometimes who say, well, I'm not in the CFO's umbrella, or I'm working at a nonprofit, or I work at a faith-based organization, and I don't really need to know the numbers. I don't really need to understand revenue and expenses. When you hear that kind of thinking, how do you respond? Well, I would say that in many cases, correct. You don't need to know how to read financial statements to, in order to take a job somewhere and do, do your part of the job. However, if you want to enhance your business skills and if you have ambitions to grow your career, proving that you can read financial statements is one way to stand out in an organization. A quick aside, I myself was the lowest employee at, a, at the company I was working for. I was a sales representative. Like I had nobody under me. You couldn't have gotten any lower in the organizations. Yet I just had developed a passion for investing and I learned accounting essentially in my, in my free time. Whenever my company, which was publicly traded, reported earnings, I took notes about myself. I would read through the financial statements. I would take notes about what was happening with the company. And one day on a whim, I shared that notes with some of my coworkers. Unspenos to me, those notes that I share with his coworkers got spread throughout the entire organization, all the way up to the CEO and CFO level. Oh, wow. And the next time we had a big company-wide meeting with several hundred people, the CEO called out the emails that I sent to my friends on stage saying, well, the next time we report earnings, wait till Brian Faraldi's email comes out so you can understand what the heck it means. <laughs> That's so funny. And you know, I, that illustrates something I've seen happen again and again. And I think what you said like strikes me as really true in most of the experiences I've heard is if you don't have a good handle on the financial terminology, financial statements, I think in most situations, unless you're working in accounting or CFO, a lot of bad things aren't necessarily going to happen. But if you do understand and you take a little bit of time to know where the organization is spending money, earning money, 
all of a sudden it opens up an opportunity to influence and to be noticed in a way that may take you years doing something else. And it is really the credibility I have seen people build with a little bit of financial knowledge is really, really impressive. 100% totally agree with you there. Or I would even think it from a from a career perspective. So if I was in the a job market, one thing that I would do would be to look through publicly traded companies that I thought could be good investments that simultaneously I knew pay very high levels of stock-based compensation to their employees. And I would target those companies as being the ones that I want to work for because obviously if they pay high levels of stock-based compensation, that behooves me, the employee, to work there. Tons of reasons to get good at this. All right, so let's look at one of these major financial statements. It's one that pretty much every organization uses. Doesn't matter if you're in the business world, the non nonprofit world, everyone uses an income statement. What is an income statement and why is it important? Yeah, an income statement just shows whether a company was generating a profit or a loss during a specific period of time. It's kind of like you're, it's akin to somebody looking at their, their monthly budget, right? So you're looking at how much income you're bringing in. You're looking at what you're spending money on. And the net result after it's done is, hey, did we have any money that we can use for savings this period? Or did we spend more money than we make, which would be a bad thing? Very similar for the income statement. So the income statement is measured over a period of time. So there's a start date and an end date. Let's say it was January 1st was the start date. December 31st was the end date. You'd be measuring your income and expenses over a period of a year in that case. And the output of, of looking at a, the income statement would be, did our company generate a profit during this period or did our company lose money during this period? Yeah. So it's not that much different than a personal budget. Most of us do that. We have a sense of like where we're spending our money personally. Obviously, there's a little bit more complexity, but at its fundamental nature, it is revenue, expenses, and then profit or loss, depending on how the revenue expenses fall out, right? That is exactly correct. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, this has a couple of names. <laughs> this is one of those things where like just knowing some of these these fundamental things, I think makes it easier. An income statement is also called a profit and loss statement or a PL for short. Same thing, right? That is correct. I've also seen it called the statement of operations as well. But by and large, it is known as the income statement. Okay, great. So by the way, we're using terminology that's under, in this conversation, generally accepted accounting principles. That's the standard in the United States. There's a different standard internationally, but the principles are really the same, right? That's correct. There's a different accounting standard used outside the United States called IFRS, and it is different. It is a different accounting system than GAAP, Generally Extended Accounting Principles, in the United States, although the two are very similar. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's look at some of the aspects of the income statement. And it starts with a number that I think a lot of people would recognize and understand, which is revenue. What is revenue at its basic level. Revenue is just the total value of all sales that occurred during the measurement period. 
And importantly, revenue includes after all discounts, rebates, coupons, et cetera, have been accounted for. So for example, let's say we're measuring Home Depot here and a hammer costs 20, is, is listed as $20, but with a coupon, I get that hammer for $15. If Home Depot sells that hammer to me, it records the $15 as revenue during the period. Okay, makes sense. And then there's a line item under revenue on almost every income statement for cost of goods sold. What is that? Yeah, and this one has several different names and categories depending on the company that you're working for. But essentially, this number represents what did it cost the company to produce the item or the product or the service that was sold. So again, going back to Home Depot, I think everybody knows that Home Depot isn't manufacturing all of the products that it sells in its stores. Those are manufactured by others. So in this case, Home Depot bought a hammer from a company that makes hammers, and then it resells it to its customers at a higher price. So this line item, cost of goods sold, would be how much did it cost Home Depot to buy that hammer from its supplier? Got it. So that goes there, and then you subtract that out, and you get gross profit. If you revenue minus cost of goods sold, gross profit for the organization. Absolutely. And this is actually a very important number for investors to know for certain, but anybody. So gross profit is is just the the how much revenue generated minus the direct cost of of producing the products or services to create that revenue. And that gives you a, a gross profit. So again, let's go back to Home Depot. Let's say they sold a hammer for $15. It cost them $10 to buy the hammer. Their gross profit on that sale would be $5. Okay. That make that makes sense. So of course, one of the biggest expenses for any organization is salaries of employees. Are those are salaries considered cost of goods sold, or are they considered operating expenses, which we'll get to in a bit? How does that fall out? It depends on the business itself. In some cases, salaries are included in cost of goods sold. In other cases, they're not. The key question is, was that the person that you paid that salary to directly involved in the production of that good or service. So if you were a manufacturing company, for example, some companies choose to put the salaries of their factory workers in the cost of goods sold line. Others choose to just include that as an overall operating expense. But you can you can think of like think of like a consulting business like Accenture. What are they what are they essentially selling is their consultant's time. Right. So that to them would be the cost of goods sold. What does it cost us? How much are we paying our consultants versus how much are we charging customers for for their time? So in some cases, cost of goods sold can include salaries, but it depends on the company. So the key is know the organization you're looking at, know that that may show up in one of those places, but that's going to be a pretty big line item in almost every organization, either in cost of goods sold or under operating expenses. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, and that brings us to operating expenses then. So we get that gross profit, revenue minus cost of goods sold. In the case of the hammer, the $5 gross profit. That's not the only expense for the organization, though, of course. Then you have to subtract operating expenses. What are those? Operating expenses are expenses that are incurred during the operation period that's being measured. And this is a catch-all category that includes every expense related to running and operating the business. So let's think about Home Depot for a second, since we're on that. What cost does Home Depot have to just run and operate the business? Well, how about the cost of the building? 
itself. And that can include the utilities for the building, the electricity for the building, the insurance for the, the building, the depreciation cost to keep that building and maintain that building over a long period of time. Then there's the salaries of the workers, the, the salaries of the managers, there's the salaries and the overhead expenses of just the, the corporation itself. All, all expenses that all really overhead expenses could be, there could be dozens of different categories are, are put into this general category, which is called operating expenses. So you subtract that out and then you get down to operating income, right? Correct. So operating income would be all of the profit that is generated from operating the business. So the revenue from operating the business minus all the costs of operating the business, and that gives you the operating income from the business. However, we're not done subtracting expenses from there. Yeah. So there's some other things that are more accounting-based, which I want to ask you about. But but that number, operating income, gives you, as an individual looking at a statement or as a stakeholder in the organization, gives you a good sense of the health of the business, right? Because obviously, if you're if that number is negative, that's a problem, right? So it gives you a sense of like, okay, how is this organization doing from just a health standpoint? Absolutely. Yeah. You generally want to see this number being a positive figure. There are legitimate reasons for it not to be a positive figure, but yes, this, this is the, 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 the operating profit from just running the business on a day-to-day -day basis should be positive. And this is a key number for investors to look at. Okay, cool. So you mentioned another word there that I think a lot of us have heard, we've thought about in our own lives, but it, there's some key accounting distinctions here, depreciation. And then there's also another key word, which is amortization. Could you explain the distinction between those and like how we think about those in accounting as far as expenses? Sure. They are a little bit confusing, but I think most people understand the word depreciation, especially if you own a car. So let's say for just simple math purposes, you buy a brand new car and that car costs you $30,000 and you drive that car for 10 years. And at the end of its useful life, you sell that car to somebody else for, let's just say, $10,000. So the car went from being worth $30,000 to being 10 years later, it was worth only $10,000. What happened to that $20,000 in cost that you lost by using the car? Well, that's the car depreciating in value. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's with an asset, a physical asset that you can touch, a tangible asset, it's called loses value over a period of time. Now, in this case, the car lost $20,000 over a 10-year period. So the way that we would account for that on the income statement is by using a term called depreciation. Now, in this case, the math is very simple. $20,000 in it was lost over 10 years. So we would account for a depreciation expense of $2,000 each year to show how much value that car is losing over time. And all kinds of things can depreciate. The two biggest categories, though, are property, the plants themselves, and the equipment that a business buys. So that's depreciation. Depreciation is the gradually writing down of, an, of a tangible asset, something you can physically touch. And it's important to call out because obviously that's an expense. It's a real expense, but it is a different kind of expense than, say, we're running the lights, the electric bill this month. It and and there's also tax implications for that too. So organizations can write off some of those expenses. So just knowing that those are different things is is helpful, and and that's why they're listed differently. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Depreciation is a funny type of expense because it's what's it's what's called a non-cash expense. Depreciation has a real cost to it, but that that is not money that is leaving your bank account to pay for it, right? It is happening in theory. Like if you buy a car, you don't see the depreciation come out of your bank account. You just realize the depreciation at the end of its life when you sell the, the assets. So it is, is, it is an expense, but it's a non-cash expense. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. And what's different about amortization? Yeah, so amortization is the very similar concept. It's the writing down of an asset over time. However, depreciation is something that happens to tangible assets, so things that you can physically touch, equipment or a car or machinery. Amortization happens to assets that you can't physically touch. So, for example, a trademark. Let's say you have a trademark or a copyright on, on something. That is an asset that has a value, and that asset loses value in some cases over, over time. So rather than de- the, the term is not depreciating an intangible asset, it's amortizing an intangible asset. It's the same concept, though. It's the gradual writing down of the value of an asset over time, but depreciation happens to tangible things, so things you can touch. Amortization happens to intangible things, assets you can't touch. Simple. And depending on where those things are in the business, those might be the things that are depreciation or amortization might be under cost of goods sold or might be under operating expenses, right? That is 100% correct. Yeah. Management teams do have some leeway with which part of the income statement they put in, but in some cases, they don't even break it out. They just scoop it all together in one general category. Other management teams do break them out, but they are either listed as cost of goods sold or more commonly as an operating expense. Okay. So just by those key principles, the key pieces of the income statement, you could look at an income statement for almost any organization and get a sense of the health of the business. That's not all, though. There are some other pieces on the income statement, and they're related to non-operating income and expenses. What's that part of the income statement, and why is it separated out from operating expenses and income? So the numbers we talked about so far are all related to the business, the running of the business itself, the revenue from uh, operating the business and the expenses from operating the uh, business. However, businesses also have other expenses or even in some cases, other income that aren't related to operating the business. The most common one there would be interest. So some businesses have debt that they take out on the business, and that debt has a cost to it that has to be paid in interest. And that interest is paid, but it's not an operating expense, right? Two companies could be exact same size in the exact same business. One could have no debt and owes no interest payments. Another one could have a lot of debt, and it has lots of interest payments. So we call that a non-operating expense or conversely, if a company has a lot of cash at, at the bank in a, in a CD or an interest-bearing account, it could also be making money from holding that cash at a bank, in, this, in which case it would report a non-operating income. So there is a line item here that is mostly related to, to interest, and this again is income or expenses not related to operating the business. Makes sense. And it's funny you say that our, we moved bank accounts not that long ago, and we're now getting some interest on our business checking account. And our accountant said, no, you, that's, not a, uh, that's not revenue. That's under non-operating income. And I didn't really appreciate that distinction, even though I've 
did my undergraduate in business and took a bunch of accounting courses, I was like, oh, I see. I've got to actually list that separately in our books because it it, it really does – it says something different about the business because you want to be able to compare apples to apples when you're looking at things like revenue, cost of goods sold. I mean, it is reflective of the health of the business today, but it's in a it, it's just a different category. Yeah, that that you you are completely correct. This this kind of relates to uh, this number most often relates to the capital structure of the business. Basically, how has the business chosen to finance itself? And that's something that each business can choose for itself. Some businesses choose to finance themselves with lots of debt. Others prefer to just finance themselves with equity. And by breaking it out into a different category, it allows you com- to compare businesses that have financed themselves completely differently to each other when you break out those expenses in this other category. Yeah. And my guess is that at an operating level, a manager in an organization, someone who's kind of getting into the financials on a daily basis, that may not be as critical thing to be watching that number. But it's good to know, like, you know where the stakeholders are in the business and like what kind of debt the business is carrying or organization. That that makes a big difference, big picture as far as knowing the health of the organization. Absolutely, it does. And what's also included in this category is investments that companies make into other other companies. Let me give you a, a quick example. Amazon, a few years ago, made a sizable equity investment into an upstart electric car company called Rivian. Well, as Rivian stock goes up and down, Amazon actually has to record on its income statement the value of that investment. Now, that is obviously not an operating expense for the company. So because of that, Amazon has to record in this category, non-operating income or expenses, what happened to the value of the stock that they hold and Rivian. And Rivian's been a pretty volatile stock for them. So this is actually significantly moving up and down Amazon's net income. But as an investor, we should look at that and say, well, that doesn't really impact Amazon, the business. So we need to exclude that when we're calculating, is this company profitable or not? Yeah, which is why it's listed separately. So yeah, I mean, you could pull the financial reports of any publicly traded company and look at that and you can see all of that just listed out. Obviously, there's a lot more detail in the line items, but the core core pieces are exactly that. And that brings us to pre-tax income, which is EBT, earnings before taxes, right? That is correct. So we take our operating income, the profit or loss that we had from just running the business, we add or subtract these non-operating income or non-operating expenses, which in most cases are just interest, the difference between the interest you pay on your debt versus the interest you receive from your the cash in your bank, and then you get pre-tax income or how much income did the company made before it pays its tax bill. Yeah, and then the final piece of that is subtracting out the tax is paid, and then you get to either either that final number is positive or negative, and it's either net income or net loss, right? That is correct. So the, the bottom line of the income statement is called net income, which is also called earnings, which is also called profits. All three of those words are synonyms for, for each other. And so so is the nickname the bottom line because it is the bottom line yeah. of the, the income statement. So the bottom line shows whether a company generated a profit or a loss during a specified period of time. And typically for an income statement, for example, in our organization, we run income statements over the course of the year usually, but you could run it for a quarter or a month, depending on the reporting period in order to assess like, okay, within this period of time, how how much do we know about the business and its health and, and growth or, or, or not, right? 
That is correct. And most publicly traded companies, they're required to report their their income statement every 90 days or so. So about every four times per year at the end of each quarter, they report their income. And they're also required to compare it to the year ago period. And the differences between those two periods in revenue, in profits and expenses can give investors a sense of, is this company growing or is this company shrinking? Yeah. Okay. 30 minutes on income statements. And just like, it's interesting, like so many of, as many times as I've seen financial reports over the years, if you get just some of the basics down, I mean, there's seven or eight basic things here and you pull up an income statement for any organization, you really get a really clear picture of what's going on in that organization. And so few people really take the time to do that, either inside or outside the organization as a stakeholder or an investor. If you spend a few minutes reviewing this, asking a few questions, you really do get a, a pretty good picture of what's happening in the organization. You really can. And income statements are most helpful, as I said, when you compare them to previous periods. So if you want to see if a company is growing, if you want to see if a company is dying, if you want to see if a company is increasing its profits or if its profits is shrinking, one of the quickest and easiest ways to do so is just by looking at the income statements and comparing them to the same period in different years. Yeah. So I could run 2000 whatever year and then look back three or four years and run the spreadsheet like, oh, okay. Revenue went up 20%. Like, that's really good. But expenses went up 40%. That's not good. Like, during that time, it gives you a sense of where the trends are heading. And then this is the key, I think, especially if you're an executive, a manager in the organization, is you look at that and you can use that to make decisions. I recall years ago, one of my first early roles, we were running, I had P&L responsibility for the business. And all of a sudden, we were spending tons of money on office supplies randomly. And it showed up on the P&Ls. And because it showed up and because we were watching it, we could then look at that and say, okay, as an organization, we need to put some guidelines here because it was actually impacting our profitability in a pretty substantial way. That then led to us making different decisions as leaders in the organization of how we were going to approach that and what frameworks we were going to put and boundaries around what employees could and could not do as far as office supplies. It really did make a huge difference to the bottom line at the time. And it's one of those things, if you're not watching on a PL, you're never going to see that. And all the other work you're doing somewhere else, it deflates it. Yes. Yeah. It's it's it's. How would you know that without being able to look at these statements and actually read them? And it's very common for management teams to look at the profit and loss statements or the income statement and say, "Wow, this is out of whack. We need to take ABC action to correct it." Yeah, and if you're the person who's doing that proactively, of coming to senior leadership or to the board or to investors and saying, "Hey, here's what I'm noticing, and here's the decision." I'm already moving forward on in order to address this, either from a cost standpoint or revenue standpoint. That to me is the kind of person like that catches my attention as a leader when someone is being proactive about looking at that and then making management decisions based on it. So the, the having a bit of this language gives you so much to be able to then do and affect positively in the organization. Totally agree. It's a great way to stand out to show that you understand the, these basic terms that are on the income statement. Okay, so speaking of standing out, a couple invitations from us for those who want to get into this more. I mean, we've talked about the income statement, but there's several other key financial statements and principles that if you get a little bit of time under your belt to be able to understand this language, you're going to be able to look at almost any financial statement 
And also, I think more, more importantly, be involved in financial conversations inside your organization and know what people are talking about. And then secondly, be able to influence those conversations and be able to have a seat at the table. For those who want to, Brian, you've got two avenues for folks. One is your newsletter and then one is the course itself, right? Yep. So I have a weekly newsletter that we put out, me and my two business partners called Long-Term Mindset, where we cover topics such as how to read an income statement, some financial lessons that we've learned, some investing lessons that we've learned, et cetera. That's free. You can sign up for that just on my website, which is just brianferaldi.com. But if you're the type of person that is interested in much more detailed learning of the free financial statements. We do offer a three-week boot camp course where we go into detail line item by line item through the three income statements together. And we, we target typically beginners, people that are just starting to get up to speed with financial statements. And we really explain these two, explain all three statements to them in detail. I've looked through some of your course materials already, and you, you break it down and you make it really simple, just like we've done today. I mean, yeah, there's terminology to learn, but a little bit of time, a couple of weeks, can really change the entire trajectory of your career and how you're able to be able to influence these conversations. So for those who want more, we're going to link all that up in the weekly guide to Brian's work and resources and encourage you to check it out. Brian, one final question for you. You know, Whenever I'm talking with experts on something, I, I think it's important to for everyone to realize like we're all learning we're all growing i'm curious as you've been doing this work uh, teaching people about how to read financial statements and investing as you look back over the last couple of years what's something you've changed your mind on mr so i for whatever reason have always been interested in money and investing and the fire movement if your listeners are familiar with that the financial independence retire early movement so I, I i just have a natural proclivity to be someone that tries to make as much money as i can to spend as little money as i can and to invest the difference one thing that i recently changed my mind about came from reading a great book called die with zero and the idea of the book rather than try and maximize your net worth at the end of your life is instead to try and maximize all the experience that you get to have for, for for the rest of your life. And one of the things that he said that really resonated with me is there, there's a certain time period in your life where you want to do things, right? If you want to go snorkeling, the time to do that is when you're in your 30s and 40s, not save that till when you're in your 70s and 80s. And that idea kind of really struck a nerve with me that perhaps I am someone that is naturally oversaving and I should actually be spending more today while I'm still young enough to enjoy certain events. So that would be something that I changed my mind about recently. Brian Feroldi is the author of Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? and co-creator of the course, Financial Statements Explained Simply. Brian, thank you so much for your wisdom. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me, Dave. Thanks for having me here. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I hope you'll check out. One of them is episode 244, Improve Your Financial Intelligence. Joe Knight was my guest on that episode, co-author of the book by the same name, Financial Intelligence. There's several versions of that book. We talked about big picture. How as a leader can you improve your financial intelligence and your language? broadly in the context of business and numbers. And as I mentioned in the opening, whether you work for a for-profit, a non-profit, a government agency, knowing 
numbers, being able to speak the language of finance. You can do a lot with just a few hours getting started. Many more resources in that episode with Joe, episode 244. Also recommended episode 355, how to approach corporate budgeting. Jody Wadrich was my guest on that episode. We talked about how as an individual leader to begin the process of setting a budget for your team or organization for the year ahead. Unfortunately, in many organizations, too often, uh, budgeting starts with taking a copy and paste of last last year's Excel spreadsheet and beginning there. And uh, hopefully, you're thinking about budgeting even more thoughtfully than that and thinking about the big picture and how resources come together and who's involved. Jody and I talked in detail in that conversation about what are the ways as an individual leader to really think about budgeting before even you get the numbers down on the spreadsheet and how to approach that in a really holistic way. Episode 355 for that. And then more on the personal side of budgeting, episode 396, The Dumb Things Smart People Do With Their Money. It's also the title of the book from uh, the guest on that episode, Jill Schlesinger, CBS Business analyst, host of the Jill on Money podcast. She was recently on our podcast as well. She's been on the show several times over the years. Jill and I had a conversation back on episode 396 about what are some of the common things that really smart, talented people tend to make mistakes on as far as their own personal finances. We walked through some of those in detail, much more in her book, of course, Jill on Money, a great podcast on the personal side as well. I listen to it all the time, episode 396 for that. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you today to set up your free membership also if you have not yet done so. It's going to give you access to tons of the resources inside of the free membership. One of those resources to be able to search all of the past episodes by topic. And one of the topic areas is finance and budgets, both professionally and personally. We have done many episodes over the years, many more than the ones I just mentioned. And if you're looking for more on the topic of finance and budgets, I encourage you to dive in there, find what you're looking for, and be able to utilize it, not only for this topic, but any topic you're looking for right now. The library is essentially set up for you and searchable by topics. You can find the episode that is most relevant to you right now. Setting up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com will allow you to search and surface the things that are going to be most helpful to you right now. And maybe you're looking for a bit more beyond many of the free resources inside of coachingforleaders.com. And if you're looking for a bit more, you may also want to learn more about Coaching for Leaders Plus. One of the benefits inside Coaching for Leaders Plus is something called topic guides. You hear me mention at the end of most episodes, some of the other related episodes I'd recommend, but we go a step way further inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus with the topic guides. We have very specific topics that we're looking at and specific episodes you should listen to in order, in order to get the message you need. One of the topic guides we have inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus is how to pitch an executive. For each topic guide, I provide a video overview of some of the key experts, the people I think are most important. I walk you through exactly what episodes I think you should listen to, what are the key points from those episodes, some reflection questions, and resources to be able to share that with others. It is a step-by-step exact process to follow so that you can get what you need from our library. That's one of the many benefits inside Coaching for Leaders Plus, the topic guides. If you'd like to find out more, go over to coachingforleaders.plus. That will share all the resources with you and get you underway. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you back on Monday for our next conversation.